Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. One, two, three, four, who are we going to yell for? Is it working okay? Good. Before we turn to the book of Genesis and look about a, an old codger named Joe, I want to talk to you about some of our folks for a few moments. Number one, I've tried to tell the people at the door, hey, we have reason to rejoice and give thanks. This is a great, beautiful day. If you're raised on the farm, when you see what's going on, this is what my daddy used to call a soaking rain. Slow enough that it goes down, gets to the roots, and what you see, and the city folks and the kids don't understand this. When corn is tasseling, or you'd call it blooming maybe, when corn is tasseling, and if you drive between here and, and Columbus, you can see that it's everywhere, it's beginning to, <clears throat> if you get a good soaking rain, the amount of corn on a cob will, will double, actually double. And you, <clears throat> you can, it's the difference between 100 bushel an acre and 200 bushel an acre. 200 is about as good as it gets. But, and, uh, and so you say, well, so what? Well, it makes your cereal cheaper. It makes your steak cheaper. It makes your pork cheaper because what do, pork, what do, what do pigs eat? Pig eats corn. What does a cow eat? cow eats corn and if you have more corn it's cheaper costs less to raise a cow steak gets cheaper Lord thank you for sending the rain at this time of year and 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 we need to be aware of that because now I know that it's I mean you think about those four poor folks down in Hazard and Hindman in Eastern Kentucky that's that's a real tragedy but you know, even in the midst of that tragedy and the deaths and everything, that same bunch of rain that caused them all the heartache came out through the, the Midwest and down out across St. Louis and Memphis and across and broke a drought out there. They'd had a horrible drought. In the midst of heartache, you can see blessings, and we need to learn to do that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on. I need to talk to you about some of our folks here at church. Susie Riddlebarger just recently, she runs the Ritz thing downtown where all the girls get their fancy dresses to when you're trying to, well, I won't go into that, where all the girls get the fancy dresses. She had uh, breast surgery back some time ago and now she's gone back uh, to, to Houston to have uh, a month of radiation treatment and you want to keep her in your prayers. Janie Samuelson who lives out on 104 house burnt this week. Now what you have no way of knowing because we haven't had to do it for a long time that our church keeps $10,000 in a special account so if somebody's house burns we go to them and say we've got $10,000 here as a gift it's not no strings attached so I went to the house and said, Janie, she was here last night. Here's the, here's the money if you need it. She declined it because, she's, because as we were standing there talking, the insurance people showed up and, and offered her all that good, everything that she needed. But you need to know that our church does more than just sit here on Sunday morning and grin and pick and grin and, and listen to me holler and rant and rave. So we've only, we've only used that in, in my memory either three or four. This would have been the fourth time, I think. Two times it was used. One time they paid it back later. But, that's not, but it isn't something that it alone is a gift for them to use. Uh, Pat Apple is back here now. He moved back. His, he was lonely down in uh, North Carolina with his kid, with his young son. And so he's over at Hillview. And he's back here in town. Uh, this past Friday, uh, Norm uh, Campbell's mother's funeral was, and and uh, and 
just be aware to pray for them because Becky, who had been on a mission trip down in Brazil, was back and for something, I don't know what the problem really is, but he, he just hadn't gotten over his mother's funeral. He had to take Becky to the hospital last night. So please keep those folks in your prayers. And they, they're here on Saturday night. And one of the other couples that's here every Saturday night, Jim and Ramona Southward, Jim's brother died, and the funeral will be tomorrow <clears throat> up at uh, Fox Burkett uh, Funeral Home in, uh, in Beaver. I just wanted to run those by you so you'd be aware of it. And if you keep a prayer list in your Bible like I do, well, I just remember those folks, if you will, please. Now, <clears throat> what we're looking at here is the um, God has selected through the years people that he wants to use to bring his plan to fruition. The plan that he had from the Garden of Eden onward in the Old Testament was to have a, at least a remnant of people who were faithful to him that he could use to ultimately bring the Messiah to earth. That the Old Testament is really the story of God's plan of salvation that was culminated when Jesus died on the cross and then was resurrected and went back to heaven. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I won't be here next weekend. Uh, the church that I was pastoring before coming to Portsmouth in 1967, Prairie Green Church up in Illinois, is having their 150th anniversary. And they couldn't get anybody else to preach for them, so they asked me if I would come up and, and preach for them next weekend. So I'll, I'll be in Prairie Green, Illinois. And probably you never heard about it because that's really a township. And the, but I'll tell you a story about Prairie Green, Illinois. I can't tell it up there, but I can tell you. And if anybody goes up there and tells them, I swear you're lying. We lived in the parsonage right next to the church building, beautiful Bedford Stone church building out in the country. And it was right on, and the building was located right on the county line between the Prairie Green Township and Hoopston was here and Wellington's here, Watsika was the county seat there. And, and, um, and one of the elders, Siegel Swartz's wife, Beulah, was kind of a pushy old girl, good-hearted but pushy. And, uh, she had a habit of coming to the parsonage, never knocking, never saying she'd just open the door and come on in. That's a little irritating. So Pete, I was talking to Pete Anderson, another one of the elders, and I said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to lock the door out in the country. It's not our, you know, it, it's the church's parsonage. He said, well, it's easy. He said, just listen to me and this will work. He said, the next time you see her coming, take off all your clothes except your boxer shorts. And he said, and get on the phone there, because the, I had two phones, one for Hoopston and one for Watsika. And he said, get on the phone and just be standing there talking. Because, and he said, and, and when she comes, opens the door, and sees you standing there, that'll stop that. Well, you take advice from your friends. <laughs> so I, was on, I saw her coming when she pulled into church parking lot. I dropped my drawers and got on the phone. And, and right beside the phone was the door into the garage, and it had windows in it, so it kind of reflected, and I could see what was going on standing there talking, talking. I really wasn't talking to anybody, but anyway, I was standing there talking, and the, and the door opened, and she saw that hunk standing there. <laughs> and the door eased back shut, and she slipped off and got in the car and went away. She never came in the house again without calling first. <laughs> I asked Pete, I said, hey, Pete, if that hadn't worked what would I have done he said you'd had to take off your boxer shorts and <laughs> now that really did happen I'm not making that up it's a, it, uh, 
So that's where I'm going to go. And I can't tell that story there I, I, because some of the grandkids of, of Siegel and Beulah are still there, even though I don't think they care. That might help keep them awake. Joseph. Joseph. I, I've always had a problem with this Joseph in the Old Testament. Or anybody else named Joe. I, I know Joe Lester was laughing about was laughing about it year, well, I kind of told this years ago because when I was in Bible college I had proposed to my first wife and and I'd given her this little ring that she swore she helped pay for but she didn't um, she went to eastern Kentucky down to Richmond and there was a big old football player there that was trying to steal her away steal her away and his name was Joe I've never liked anybody named Joe since then without some difficulty. So if you, if, if you, you know, so when I study about Joseph here, I kind of have a burr under my saddle as I go, even though it turned out he was kind of a really interesting sort of a chap. Uh, the story probably most of you know. His father, Jacob, actually was married to two women who were sisters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was the one that he cared more, and he was one of these guys. I mean, if you got four women you're living with, you're already just just a little north of purgatory. And so, but he loved one of them more than he did the other. Rachel was the one he really loved, and and poor Leah. The scripture just said she had bad eyes. I don't know what that means, whether she was cross-eyed or I don't know. But Rachel had two children. The first one was Joseph, and then she died giving childbirth to Benjamin. She just had these two children. And even today, if you were in Israel and you were leaving Jerusalem, going down to Bethlehem, about half, two-thirds of the way down there on the side of the road, there's a little memorial for Rachel because she died on the road to Bethlehem, Ephratah. And... Uh, and, and the Jews put up this little memorial for her there. And, it, and, and if you go in, you have to put a yarmulke, you have to put these little skull caps on and, and go in. And then when you come out, they're standing there with a jar that you put a shekel or two in. That's really what it's there for anyway. But Joseph was, uh, was not only the daughter of the son of Jacob's favorite wife, but he was one of these guys. Have you ever run into anybody? Because I, I have a friend, two of them really, both are dead now, who had what my mother referred to as the Midas touch. It seemed like whatever they got into prospered. Uh, now, I won't say, but one of them is sitting right over here. And I won't name names or anything but because uh, I don't want to wake him up because he was taking a nap over here while I was preaching you know. But some people have the capacity to whatever they, not crooked, not, just whatever they get in. Jim McKenzie was that way. He helped bring me from Illinois to Portsmouth in 1967. He had, a, he had an insurance agency, and then he bought a, into a construction company because insurance people worked closely with construction companies. Big money to be made there. It did really well. Then he opened a, a car dealership, and end up selling it, I think, to Ronnie Cole. All of them really prospered. It just seemed like whatever he touched. And then he got him a job working over at Kentucky Christian, and that school started just growing after he got there. Some people, God actually blesses with the capacity to be successful. When there's no obvious reason the only reason that i could see is jim was ex was extremely good looking now william doesn't have that problem but he jim jim did have he he just blessed in in whatever he's done is has prospered and that's a wonderful thing now that what you may not real i've always assumed that joseph was probably a, a pretty good sized lad because in that culture, size was important to the people. 
for instance, when Israel wanted a king, they selected the biggest guy they could find. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Now, he was a lousy king, but that's what they looked for. Uh, I don't know whether any of you remember the, the, the movie about Scots, the Scotland's revolt against England. And, and uh, the, the Scottish leader, do you remember the name of the movie? Braveheart, right. Braveheart, the, now he, that, in, that individual that that story was about is a real person. That's not a makeup. That's a historical fact. And that young man that led that revolt against, of the Scots against England was head and shoulders. He was a big, big guy. And these people would lead into battle. I have always imagined, because I don't know, and history doesn't really tell us, that Alexander the Great was probably a big guy too. Because he led his troops into battle. And even though in many instances, especially when they went to Babylon, they were greatly outnumbered. But the, the Scots would say, they have the numbers, but we have Alexander. And that image of a great big leader was important to those people. And when you read here about Joseph, you remember one of the situations that he got into, because uh, if you recall, his daddy, Joseph, was his favorite. Now this creates a problem, because he had ten older brothers and one younger brother. And so he made Joseph what we were always told, a coat of many colors. But when you look at the Hebrew text, it really doesn't say that. It just really says it was a very impressive garment. It could have been colored. It probably meant that it was long and made out of good stuff. And his daddy, and, and then he was a dreamer. And he, and, and he had dreams himself, and then he could also interpret dreams. Now, I, I really, I, I've looked into this and studied dreamings and all that kind of stuff. And, there's, and if you talk to shrinks, I've got a grandson studying to be a shrink. If you talk to shrinks, they'll tell you there is something to dreams. And, and there are times if you can get people to talk to you, because uh, one of the Psychiatrist told me the worst thing that ever happened to his practice was when the insurance people, the insurance people, big pharma and insurance people rule the world. And when the insurance people quit paying for a psychiatrist to sit and talk with people over a period of time, he said they've turned us into well-paid pharmacists rather than what we really were trained to do. And... Uh, and he, he told me, he said, if, if people will tell me if they have dreams, what they've been dreaming about, it really helps me in understanding them because dreams are related to something important in life. God had blessed this guy with the capacity not only to dream about himself and his family, and he was a spoiled brat because he, his daddy favored him and so on, because he was the son of his favorite wife, and he, he gave him all kinds of, and he let the other kids know that he was his favorite. Well, they, you know, and so one day he told Joseph, I want you to check on your brothers. And the brothers saw him coming, and they decided, you know, we've had a belly full of him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill him. Because he's going to end up with an inheritance and everything else, and we're going to be left out in the cold. Well, the oldest brother said, I don't like this idea of getting... So what they did is they, they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now, some of you probably don't even know what a cistern is. But for you who uh, have either dyed or gray hair or no hair, you might. I grew up on a farm... And you either had, and we had no running water, we had no indoor plumbing. We had a, a path through the chicken yard to the toilet. 
And I could tell you some good stories about that, but I don't have time for it today. But they really are pretty good. And, and it was a two-holer because we were better than had a, uh, we were upscale folks. And, and what it does teach you, though, you learn a lot from that. You learn which side to put the flashlight on. Sheesh, you guys are slow. I'm telling you. You know, anyway. Joseph, a cistern, on a, you just have two sources of water. You either have a cistern or a well. We had both, but the well was not good drinking water. There were frogs and stuff, and we just used that to cool the milk that we were overnight that we'd put out to the road for carnation to pick up. A cistern is just a, a, a large container that you take the water off of the roof, down spouts, run it into the cistern, and we, we use that for drinking, cooking, everything else. Some of it in, well, but that, that was, the, and so this is a large container that holds water, and it's usually in that culture not far from the well. And so they could take water from the well fill up the cistern so in dry spells they would have plenty because they, uh, they had to water their sheep, they had to water their goats, they had to water their cows. They had to, everything there was in a, in a desert area, water was life. In fact, they actually, the Israelis actually had an offering system where they would take water and pour it on the ground and thank God for the gift of water. The Apostle Paul, before he died, said, I'm like a drink offering that is being offered because I'm getting ready to, to die and go to the ground. That, so this big old cistern was empty, evidently. And so they threw Joseph in the, in the, in the, in the cistern. And then they took his coat that they hated ripped it up, put some animal blood on it, and took back to Jacob, his daddy, and said, you know, the animals killed him. But what they really did, the older brother said, we can't kill him. He's, he's our kin, folks. It's a blood thing. We can't do that. So they sold him to the Midianites. The Midianites were just Arab traders. And the Arab traders took him then down to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt... Now, remember this, what I told you. It seems like whatever he did worked out, it prospered. And the only thing that we can determine from that in studying the Scripture is God just determined that he would be given preferential treatment because he was the one whose lineage he was going to work through to come to the Messiah. So Joseph was sold to a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar. And Potiphar was a, was a wealthy person who probably was married to a young woman. And this young woman had the hots for Joseph. Now, here's the reason I talked about Joseph. I'm certain Joseph, if, you, if he were standing here with me, we'd look a lot alike because it says here, I'm reading scripture now. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, I've never had that invitation. But, and, he, and she kept after him and kept after him. And he kept saying, no, I will not treat my master this way because what had happened is the master of the household had said, Joseph, I want you to run my businesses for me. And they all prospered. And Joseph refused to take unfair advantage of this, probably a younger woman. And so finally, she set him up. 
she was, they were talking, and, 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 and Potiphar was coming home from work, and, and, and so she had Joseph ripped his, some of his clothes off of him and kept them and told Potiphar, you know, he was trying to force himself on me, blah, blah, blah. So Potiphar put him in prison. You know what happened to that sucker when they put him in prison? The warden put him in charge of the prison. What, what I'm telling you, you know, just wherever he went, it's like cream. It just came to the top. And ultimately, I don't have time for the rest of that story of how he interpreted dreams and so on and so forth. Ultimately, Pharaoh himself had a, 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 a dream that turned out to be a nightmare. And Joseph told him what it amounted to. He said, it, it's this simple. We're going to have a horrible drought. But before that drought comes, we're going to have seven years of, of, of plenty to prepare for the seven years of drought. And Pharaoh said, if that's really what this dream means, and you've told me what it's about, would you run the country for me to prepare for that time? Here again, the sucker comes and he's number two in the whole country. Now, I know what number two amounts to. I've been number two in everything in my whole life. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't have time. To, that's, there's some interesting stuff about that that I could tell you, but that's been the story of my life. So this is, this is the guy we're talking about, Joseph, now. And his family, during the drought, we're back just south of, uh, around Beersheba, which is the south end of Israel, next to the desert. They're all back there. And Joseph evidently really missed his family, even his brothers that treated him like trash. Sold him into slavery, even considered killing him. He missed his daddy. His mother was dead. And he said something I found to be really kind of interesting. I mentioned it here in your outline. He refer, he, here he is, number two in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave him a beautiful wife. He has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. I mean, this guy is riding high. And yet he describes his life there as suffering during his success. Suffering. What was he suffering from? That stays in the back of my mind. What was he suffering from? Well, I want you to keep that in your mind. Keep that in your mind. Okay, we've got the picture here. Now, Joseph was born into a dysfunctional family, wasn't he? His father favored him, and his brothers hated him. They, and whatever he did with his dreams and interpretation of dreams, his fancy clothes, his heart shafter and marks outfit, whatever he did created real anger in his family. Now, we need to talk about anger. Because all of us, at one time or another, have had to deal with anger. Anger is spontaneous. You don't sit down and say, I'm going to get anger. Something happens that triggers an emotion within us, and we get angry. Now, that's going to happen to everybody, and anger in itself is not sinful. It's how you deal with it. And the New Testament actually goes into a great deal of explanation to talk to us about dealing with anger, whether it's something that happens in your family. You know, I've watched this. Now, listen to me, you married people with children. You listen to me. What, what happens with man and his wife over a period of years, you have things that come up that you really get angry about. It, you know, anybody who comes to me, and any husband and wife to come to me and say, we've never had a fight. Well, either they're a lion or one of them is deaf and dumb. There isn't any such thing as whether it's a business relationship among people or husband and wife. There's going to be things that, and if you don't 
resolve that anger as it happens, and I'll show you why in a minute. When your children finally leave home, you're going to consider a divorce. Are you aware of the number of, of couples that get a divorce when the kids are gone? The percentages are really high. It's because of unresolved anger through the years, but you stay together for the kids. And the Bible is very clear about this. When Jesus started his ministry, he, it, we, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, believe it or not, Jesus deals with anger. Quite a bit of it, really. The Apostle Paul talked about dealing with anger because you cannot keep unity and harmony and peace unless you learn how to deal with anger. Because all of us are going to have something that really ticks us off sooner or later. And so, here in the fifth chapter, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about it. He says, <coughs> excuse me, better take a snort. He said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And then he, just skip a little bit and keep on reading there. He said, therefore, and you know what I tell you about therefore. If there's a, if there's a therefore, and then he's saying, please pay attention now because this is important. He said that keeping Dealing with anger and keeping peace in your family or your church or your, or your business, keeping peace is more important than what you do in the church building. Are you hearing me? He actually says, and he, I'll show you how he does it here in just a minute. Peace is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a really big deal. Keeping peace in the home because you know as well as I do, if you raise kids, there's going to be some pretty significant. I can remember my daddy, we really respected that old guy. Now, mother got on her nerves at times because she, she didn't have an off button at times, and she just kind of rattled on. But my oldest brother, he was kind of a, he, he liked to dress nice and all that kind of stuff, and he was a freshman at the University of Kentucky, and he was home, and Chuck was a kind of a hell raiser. They were about the same size, and Chuck had put on some of Jean's clothes, that, and, and, and they were getting ready to have it out in the living room. They would already kind of, you know, give them a little bit of this, a little bit of that. My dad got up from the, from the kitchen table, supper table, walked to the door, and said, I got the winner. That's all he said. The fight was over. point I'm making is this, sooner or later, husband and wife, children, there are going to be times of tension and downright anger, almost hatred. And Jesus is saying, getting that resolved is more important than what you do in the church building. Now, they didn't have a church building, they had a temple. Now, listen to this. Here's what I would, if I was going to go worship at the temple in Jerusalem, I would take a lamb, or if I was poor, I'd take a dove or a pigeon. I would offer it to the priest, and then the priest would cut the throat, drain the blood, offer it to God. Now, with that in mind, here's what Jesus said. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there... You remember that your brother has something against you. Now, this can be brother in the, in the religious sense. It can be wife, husband in the home. It can be brothers and sisters, brothers, whatever, in the home. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Because he's saying... Offering that gift with anger and hatred and, 
and, and anxiety and tension in your family. Getting that resolved is important if you want God to accept your gift. Are you following me? What he's really saying in northern Kentucky, 10 cent store language is getting that resolved is so important that what you do in the church building won't count unless you get that fixed. He goes on to say, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Now, if he isn't saying that maintaining peace among you is of supreme importance. Now, that's not the only place he deals with this. And I'm going to look at... If you go over to the Apostle Paul, and he had problems getting along with people because he, he was a little fellow with a big ego and a, and a big brain, and, and he was a little overbearing. And he, uh, John Mark, he took a young kid with him on a missionary journey, and the kid went, was with him about, about a week or so, got homesick, and went back home. They got ready to go on another missionary journey, and John Mark said, I want to go with you. And he said, you're not going with me. Heck with you. Get lost. And he and his partner then split. He took Silas and, 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 they, and, and made John Mark go with somebody else. Later on, he got, he got that thing fixed. And he said, please send John Mark to me. And having to bring my scrolls or books, we would say today, but they were scrolls and so on, because he's really helpful to me. You've got to get those things fixed. Here's, now, here's how important this is, and, and Paul writes about it here in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, starting at about verse 26. He starts off, believe it or not, with the word, therefore. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for you're all members of one body. In your anger, now he is assuming here, he is assuming here that whether it was lying or stealing or whatever, created within the church body at Ephesus, hard feelings. And he said, and, and it made people angry. So he said, in your anger, get this, now I'm just reading what God says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Because if you do, you give the devil a foothold. So how do you go about getting this fixed? Actually, the Bible makes that clear. Again, in, in the book of Matthew, in the 18th, and for some reason or other, we ignore this. And yet, is there anything more wonderful than having a family reunion where everybody... Re I'm getting ready to go with my first wife to a family reunion in oh, it's the first week of October. Now, it's her family. And she's just taking me along because I'm like Joseph. I'm good-looking, and it makes her proud. I hope you say I'm a, that's the truth. Okay. Anyway... Is there anything more wonderful than for a family to get together and just enjoy being with one another, having a good time, joking, and da-da-da-da-da? I don't think so. And I have seen this church, when that spirit of unity and enthusiasm existed, and people poured into the kingdom of God, we baptized 15 or 20 people at a time off and on for several years. Because we just love being together. In the Bible, in the book of Matthew, I think it's about the 18th chapter here, talks about how important it is to keep that among... And, here in the, well, let's see where it is. 
think it's the 18th chapter here. Yeah. Here's what he says. If your brother sins against you and you're angry, go quickly to that person and explain the, how you feel. And just between the two of you, no one else around, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What's the goal? Resolving the anger that is obviously there. This is really important. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the whole church. And if he re refused to listen even to the church, treat him as an outsider. Disfellowship him. But why? He's saying kick somebody out of the church? Yes, he did. Why? Because unity in the body of Christ is important to God. And so the Bible talks about it. One other passage in dealing with anger, just to let you know that it's a real problem that the Bible deals with in rather clear and in terms that I think anybody can understand. It's just a couple of verses here from the book of James. James is the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. It's wisdom literature in the New Testament. And, and so here's what he says about anger and what to do about it <laughs> in, in chapter 1 of the book of James. He says, my dear brethren, take note of this. And that's about the same as saying therefore, isn't it? I think, pretty close. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because some people have a quicker trigger than others. You know that. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of it. And he tells us how to do it. You get your feelings hurt. Listen, if your wife hurts your feelings, give it a little time to settle. so that, And then say, hey, let's talk. If your husband... Girls, if, if, if your husband hurts you, and we say hurtful things at times, and sometimes trying to be funny, men do, because I think at times I'm hilarious. And, and she just rolls her eyes, because she's heard it at least a hundred times, or at least that's what she said. Okay. Now, I've dwelt on this for a while, because all of us have experienced it at one time or another, and so what the Bible is saying is we can deal with this and have peace and harmony if you'll just do what I ask you to do. But for some reason or other, we're really hesitant to do that. I plead with you. Take it seriously. Joseph, let's move on because the clock is unkind to me. Joseph, he said, suffered from doing good. He refused to cheat on his employer. And he got thrown in prison. I don't know whether you know it or not, but these preachers who tell you that life is going to really be good when you become a Christian, just remember this, if they lie, they'll steal. That's not going to be the case. It isn't. Listen to me. Many of you were here, you know. For many, many years, the Sioux County Fair has really been a pretty good fair. But the board decided that they were going to invite, uh, I think they called it an auto show or something like that in. Because they said, if you let us use the fairground for a, year, for a week, we'll give you $50,000. 
Well, what they didn't know at the time, I'm certain, well, they might have, but I think one of them might have, but they brought a bunch of hookers in from Dayton as a part of the deal. So we go out and talk to the board and say, please, we cannot tolerate this. This is at the South County Fair is for children and families, and you're bringing in this kind of stuff. And so we, we had a little difficulty. And one of the board members, one of the board members, I will not name names, but one of the board members said, I can shut that preacher up. He had made an arrangement with a woman to say that for the right amount of money that she had had an affair with me. Well, one of the guys who happened to be a Christian was listening to him explain to the board what he was willing to do. He came to me and told me what's going on. So I told Alice Kay so she'd be on her toes. And I went right to see him. The board man, I went right to his, looked him straight in the face and said, look, I got all I can do leading our church. I don't have time or the experience to run your business. And if you don't get this straightened out, however, I'm willing to give it a shot. Because I'll sue you, and what you have will be mine. Because I have people who will go to court and swear what you're doing. He tucked his tail. And that was the end of the problem. And with the help of Pat Hapel and the prosecution, the outfit that they brought in was told, if you ever come back to Scioto County, you'll go straight to jail. The reason I tell you this is, if you stand opposed to evil, you're going to take heat sooner or later. And it ain't going to necessarily be pleasant. Joseph was a man of God. Oh, he had his flaws like all the rest of us. But Satan would get involved every once in a while and put the heat on him. Trying to subvert God's plan to ultimately bring Jesus into the world. So when he said, when he said you know, even though I'm here and prospering, I'm suffering. He actually said it this way in the 41st chapter of Genesis, verse 52. He said, meaning God, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The New Testament actually says in, third, in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, in the 12th verse, that if you are a Christian and you stand up for God, you will be persecuted. You will take heat. I'm guessing, but I think the heat is in the process of being turned up now. I believe that if you stand up and say, I believe that marriage is between a man who was born a man and a woman who was born a woman is what marriage really is and anything other than that is perversion, you're going to be accused of hate speech. And yet the Bible is abundantly clear about it. Read the first chapter of the book of Romans and there are others. The heat is in the process of being turned up now. You don't hate people. I'm not even angry with them. But my responsibility, I will be answerable to God for whether I have fairly, honestly spoken and taught the Word of God as it's revealed in the Bible. Now, if I don't do that, I'm useless. I was going to spend some time talking about funerals, but uh, I don't have but about six or seven more minutes here between, between they turn off the lights and they turn off my speaker, and that's just you know, suffering as a Christian. 
So I just want to say this about funerals. Because Jacob, when his daddy, when Joseph, when his daddy Jacob died, asked permission from Pharaoh, can I take my, my daddy's bones back to Hebron in Israel where he bought a graveyard, a family plot, and bury him there. And Pharaoh said, you not only can do that, I'll help you put together a funeral procession. And as far as we know, this is the first funeral procession in the history of mankind. They went all the way from along the Nile there in Egypt, all the way back up to the town of Hebron, which is probably 20 miles south of Jerusalem, and had the burial thing that they mourned for 70 days and had a big, made a big deal out of it. I just want to tell you this. Funerals are important to do well. I, ha I know about funerals when after it was over, some of the family members said, if that's what it's all about, I ain't ever going to go to a church. People get, they get up and rant and rave about heaven and hell and da-de-da-de-da without ever mentioning the name of the deceased. And they expect the family to be able to, to work their way through grief. And then, you, then we've got other things happening. We have, we're now dealing with funeral costs. Television says the average, if you buy this insurance, I, I can't get it, I'm too old. I think that's a ripoff. And anyway, it says that funerals are anywhere from nine to $12,000 or something like that. And so people are going to start saying, hey, we can't afford that, and so they're, they're looking for alternative ways of dealing with it. Alice Kay and I were in Phoenix, Arizona, and we had eaten breakfast one morning, and we were driving back to the apartment. And there was a sign as big as this whole area here, and it said that they could cook me for $729. She took a picture of that. She's probably still got it on her telephone and said, that, that's where you're going, buddy. Yeah. I told you anger has a way of coming back and getting you, you know? Yeah. But let me suggest to you something. If, if, if that's the thing you have to do, you have to do it financially. But I would encourage you, encourage you, before you do that, have a funeral service with the body present. So that everybody can, and we can deal with it. And, and, uh, and then if you want to cremate afterwards, okay. But uh, that's, not, that's really none of my business. And there's not a moral, biblical issue here. But I'm telling you to help especially kids learn the importance of dying. You see, when I grew up, the body was, if, if my, if, when Alice Kay's daddy died, they brought him back to the house, and that body stayed there, the, and, and men from the church and the community sat with the body 24 hours until they had the funeral service. And so as all the kids were exposed to death. Now what do they do? If I get sick, they're going to stick me up here at hospice and hide me till I die. And, and that's really, and hospice is really a good thing. They really do a good job. But what all of this does, sticking people in, in nursing home <coughs> and so on and so forth, our children are hidden from the reality of death, and therefore many of them have serious emotional problems in dealing with it. And a good funeral service will help them deal with it. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of pleading with you for the mental health of the next generation. Just don't, don't cook me without doing something else with it. Because there are those who think I'm going to get cooked after I die anyway. Now, so funerals are a big deal, and I wanted to say that, and I just got two or three minutes here before it's quitting time. 
One of the interesting things that happened in the life of Joseph was he was the big shot here in Egypt, and his brothers all came to Egypt in mass to get food to take back home because of the drought and the, the horrible plague they've had. I mean, no food. Egypt, you recall, had seven years of storing it up, so they had plenty of food they could sell to people. So his brothers came down there, and Joseph realized who they were. He knew who they were. They didn't know him because he was just a kid when they sold him into slavery, and they took him to Egypt. And so he saw them, and he played a few games with them. You know, and he, 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 he toyed, shall I say, with them a little bit, just kind of having fun. And... Um, but he ended up saying something to his brothers when he finally said, Guys, you don't know who I am, do you? No, we don't know who you are. I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold into slavery. I'm your brother. And they, their knees started knocking. <laughs> they were scared to death because they thought, He's going to kill us. And he ran over and he hugged their necks and he kissed them. And said, would you guys take all this food back home and bring my dad down and live here? And I'll help you live in Goshen, give you a place to live, see that you have plenty to eat. And his brothers, they just had a hard time figuring out what's wrong. And, and before, in the 50th chapter, before Joseph died, he looked at his brothers and this is what he said. You intended... To harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and saving my family's lives. This is a hard lesson to get across. But whenever heartache and difficulties come, if we draw close to the Lord, He's promised to draw close to us, and He will give us, in time, insight of how this heartache can produce something good. Now keep this in mind, because we have a tendency to feel so sorry for ourselves that we have difficulty dealing with heartache. But I'm telling you folks, the scripture is abundantly clear saying this is what God is all about. He's about making lemonade out of lemons. And he, only he can do it. And when you look here in the book of Romans in that marvelous eighth chapter of the, eighth cha of the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is writing here to the church in Rome that's having horrible time. He gives us this passage of Scripture. Now listen carefully. Because get it in your head. When this heartache that you're going through passes by, look for how God can use it to bring something good. For here's the promise. 828, Book of Romans. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called, that means converted, and are seeking his purpose. See, this is the good news, of part of the good news of the gospel. You can't avoid heartache. We're going to use, I mean, just think of those people down in eastern Kentucky now. They're going through a hellish heartache. Lost loved ones. This one guy said, we were down here, <coughs> and, and, and there was a creek running. I couldn't get to my mom and dad, but I could hear them hollering for help. They're going through a horrible time and we should pray for them daily and maybe one of these days there'll be some way we can help them. But I'm here to tell you that in spite of that horrible thing, in time, if we'll just seek God's will, something good can come from it. And he can do it in your life too <coughs> if you love the Lord and you're seeking his purposes in your life. Well, I'm done if you are.
If you're done, say amen. I see you wanted me to quit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. And thank you for your promise to step into the heartaches that we have, the persecutions, the difficulties in life. And help us to see that the sun will come out after the storm is over. That you will be there all the time. And when we're ready, you can show us how to bring something good out of the pleasant heartache and discomfort. Thank you, Lord, for loving us that much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.